Now, a couple years ago, my family and I, we were on a trip to uh, Turkey. We were visiting uh, the country on a cruise. We went to Greece and Italy and then made our way uh, to Turkey. And we were in the, in the port. And if you go into the capital city, Istanbul, one of the things that they're kind of famous for is counterfeits. They make counterfeit everything. Purses, Louis Vuitton, right? Like all of these things and they make counterfeit watches. And, uh, and so we were like shopping in, in this kind of bazaar and uh, they told us on the ship, like, don't buy anything counterfeit. And not because of the moral reasons, because they're like, it's all junk. It doesn't work. It, 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 it puts on a good show, but there's nothing really behind it. So we're in this market and uh, one of the people we were with were like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the cruise people. I am going to buy a counterfeit Rolex. We call it a Folex, right? And so uh, they were like, yep, we're going to buy a Folex. And so they're looking, 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 and they find this one. And they're like, this, I mean, if any one of these is going to really make it, this is the one. This is the watch that is going to make it. So they bought the watch. I don't even remember what they paid. Um, I think it was somewhere around like 20 US dollars. And I was like, 20 US dollars? And you think this is the one? Okay. So we get, we, he buys it. We go on the ship and literally, like he's like, man, this thing is cool. Look at this. Like it's, you know, whatever. I think someone complimented like, oh, that's a nice watch. He's like, it is a nice, yeah. Literally, we're standing on the, the top deck and as the boat is pulling away, from the shore. Like as soon as we leave, the watch like exploded, right? And pieces went everywhere. It basically fell apart like immediately. And he, and he looked at it, he goes, I should have known better. And I was like, yeah, you should have known better. And that's exactly what we're going to see in today's message. I entitled today's message, Counterfeit Gods. Because what we're going to look at in the book of Revelation is that Satan is going to create for you and I these counterfeits. And they're going to look really close and really good, but they're $20 counterfeits, okay? And the reality is, is everything that these counterfeit gods promise you, they are going to underdeliver immensely. And so as we take a look into the book of Revelation, chapter 13 today, I want us to think that way. I want us to think about how maybe you and I have begun to believe in counterfeit gods in our own life. That there's some things that the enemy and the world has said, we promise that these will bring you fulfillment. We promise that these will help you. We promise that these will satisfy you. We promise that your life will be better if you take on these counterfeit gods. But the reality is, Satan always overpromises and underdelivers. And instead of leaving with more, generally he steals from you. And so let's jump into the book of Revelation today, starting in chapter uh, 13, verse 1. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to give a little context to it, but I think we got to kind of get the big picture of what's going on, and then we're going to zoom in a little bit today. So if you remember from last week, we talked about this great dragon that was coming against the woman, right? Which the woman was Israel. And we were talking about the Messiah coming into the world. And then this dragon, which represents Satan, gets frustrated and begins to pursue all of humanity, right? And so we talked about how to win the war last week. But that same dragon is introduced here. And we go into the final couple years of the tribulation. 
Listen, listen to what the word says. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. The sea is really important in the Bible because it was believed that there's a, an abyss in the sea and that evil came from the sea. Actually, if you read the Genesis account of the depths of the ocean in, in the creation of the world, it mentions a behemoth or a great serpent or a great dragon in the depths of the ocean. This has been set since the beginning. I saw a great beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns. Those horns represent in this time period, authority and power. That's what they represent. And each one, each one of the heads on each of the heads had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard and had the feet of those of a bear in a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne in great authority one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but that fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped. Everyone say worshipped. People are made to worship. And they will worship anything that they believe will bring them fulfillment. The, they worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? This is really interesting. If you read the Bible, that kind of nomenclature is always given to God in the Bible. Who is like God? Who can wage war against God? Notice that in the end times, the beast is going to be worshipped as God. It's counterfeit. Here's what goes on. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God. This ruler that, that is going to come, and we're going to introduce all these characters in just a second. Its purpose is to downplay and to belittle God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given the authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Remember, we talked about earlier that we need to speak from what is inside of us, that those same words are used of John needing to speak and proclaim the good news to people. Why? Because eventually this beast is going to have authority over all of that. So we need to get the word out. Here's what happens. Whoever he has ears, let them hear. If anyone is going into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is important. Now, we are introduced to the second beast. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It, notice that it has the appearance of good, but speaks like evil. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Notice that it went from the people worship to now the second beast makes them worship. There's a shift in what's going on. It was first people willingly did this. Now the second one is going to make people do this. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Does that not sound like Exodus? Does that not sound like the tongues of fire in the book of Acts? 
Because of the signs it had given, uh, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It fooled them. It was a counterfeit. In order, uh, it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. This is really important. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Do you notice how this is going from terrible to worse? It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. This is what we refer to as the mark of the beast. We're going to talk about what this really means. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the, be- is the, name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom is what he says. This calls for discernment. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. That number is 666. Let's pray today as we jump into the text, and we're going to look at a couple things. We're going to take a teaching moment here as well, but let's pray. Father, I pray for your complete control of the situation. Lord, that we know like we are, through your word, exposing the tactic of the enemy. And so, Lord, I pray for clear minds and sound hearts. Lord, I pray for hearts to receive your word and your truth today. That you would prepare your saints, Lord, for the days to come, but also call new people home. Lord, we are reminded today that this is not a word of fear, but of faith. This is not a word that we should be terrified with, but that you have the victory. And so, Lord, I pray today that this moment is clear and concise and precise and that you are magnified and glorified above all else. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of theology today, and we're going to talk about something called the Trinity. If this is not something that you've heard of, this is a Christian doctrine about the existence and how God works. All right, so I'm going to draw here on this, and the image should be on the screen. If you're in the back and you can't see, we're going to have it on the screen for you so you guys can check this out. But you have God, okay, in the middle. In God, you have God the Father, Okay, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, sorry, I just didn't have enough room to write that. Now, look at this. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. They are equal in nature, but submissive in duty. They are distinct persons of the Trinity, right? And we see this evidenced in the beginning of scripture in the book of Genesis when God says when he creates man let us make man in our image it's a plural who is God talking to he's talking to the Godhead the Trinity okay and so what happens here is this is how God exists and how it all works I am not 100% sure, neither should you be. And that should humble us in this fact. If we cannot fully comprehend God's existence, then we may need to stop thinking that our thoughts are so high. So what begins that? And you say, well, Pastor Blake, I'm not sure about this. Where else does it talk about this? I'm glad that you asked that question, students. If we go to the, to the baptism of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, all three members of the Trinity show up. Right, We have Jesus being baptized. We have the Father speaking from heaven, saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Bible says that the Spirit descended upon the Son of Man like a dove. 
all three members of the Trinity mentioned and shown simultaneously in the baptism of Christ. So this is uh, what we call the Trinity, okay? Makes sense. Three people, three persons, one nature being God, right? Co-equal, submissive in duty, equal in nature, okay? I'm using a lot of theological terms, but this is important because what we're introduced to in the text today is the unholy trinity. Remember that we talked about the fact that Satan wants to create for us counterfeit gods. And how do you make a counterfeit? You make it look a lot like the real thing. And so what we see in the text here is the unholy trinity. The first two members are found in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. The dragon, okay, so here we go. We got the dragon. Don't judge my handwriting. Okay, we have the dragon, the first character that we're introduced here. We already know from the text that the dragon is who? Satan. Satan is in direct opposition of who? The Father. God, the Father. So we see that this dragon stood on the shore, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. So we're going to call this beast by his real name. He is the anti Christ. I'm going to put an X because X is a symbol for Jesus' name, especially in Greek. I have a tattoo of it on my arm. Okay, so we have this second beast who is the Antichrist. And then we have the third beast mentioned in the text, which is what? He's a false prophet. This is the unholy trinity. And this trinity is meant to deceive humanity. Each member of this unholy trinity finds its counterpart in God. The dragon, which is Satan, is the counterpart of the father. The antichrist, kind of makes sense, is the anti-Jesus, right? The anti-son. And then, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives, especially now? He testifies to the truth of the word of God. He prophesies through people. He gives us insight and clarity and testifies to the truth. This is the false prophet. Here's what you and I need to know right here. This trinity will never, ever be touched by this one. This is a counterfeit fake and it's a $20 cheap fake. And what we're going to see today is that if we really understand the truth, like that person who bought that fake watch, if they really understood what a real Rolex was like, they would have realized how quickly this was cheap. This was fake. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this unholy trinity, what they do, and then their counterpart in God, and who God really is. But here's the thing that you and I need to realize Satan knows that God works. Satan knows that God is true. So he tries to exemplify and to pretend to be that. And he creates a very cheap counterpart in this text. So the very first one we have is Satan, the dragon. His goal is to deceive the entire world and to pull worship from God right? We know this from the ancient of times, that ancient battle that we are in now. Satan thought himself to be equal with God, wanted to be equal with God, and so he wants to be worshiped 
like God. Then you have the second member, the beast, and we saw in this text what he's like. He is given power by Satan. He is, will be seen as having horns which represent power. The people of the world will worship him as a governmental leader. And the stage for this is set now. We live in a world where this is beginning to happen. Just watch the next election. Just watch what's going to happen in these next few months. I'll tell you when you know that you may be worshiping something. When you ignore every flaw of someone and just see only the good. When you believe that that candidate, whatever side you're on, is the savior you're worshiping. And so we must be careful to not be conditioned as believers to worship counterfeit gods. It's already happening. It's already going on in this moment. We're going to see that, that this, this Antichrist, what he represents, is this brand new world power. The fact that he has those seven heads represent history of the world of great world powers that ruled people. These are like Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the final head, which is the one which is wounded, is the final world power, which will be led by the Antichrist. This is being established and done now. Now, how do we know that this Antichrist is antithesis of Jesus? Did you notice that in the text it said, I saw the seven heads and one of the heads had a mortal wounding, but it looked like it was healed. Satan is going to try to dupe the world so much that the Antichrist will be wounded, but will be miraculously healed. Did you notice that in verse 14 of the same text? It said, he was wounded and he was healed. Listen to what one commentator says on this. As the people of the world worship the Antichrist, they will cry out in awe, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war against him? This is blasphemy referring to this language is referring to that of Jesus. This is what he continues to say. But that wounding which came in, whether real or fake, is, is for this future Antichrist. And here's what he says. Look at this. More likely, the Antichrist's alleged death and resurrection will be a counterfeit of Christ's death and resurrection, staged as one of the lying wonders perpetrated by the false prophet. We believe that the Antichrist will be mortally wounded, but that three days later, he will be miraculously healed. This is going to be used by the false prophet and the Antichrist to establish worship of people. People are going to be in awe of what happens, and it's a cheap counterpart to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then finally, that third uh, beast is the false prophet who's in antithesis of the Holy Spirit. And notice what this false prophet does. He does signs and wonders that only the Holy Spirit did in the Bible. Fire coming from heaven. Go to Acts 2. Go to Exodus. He does many signs and wonders. How do we do signs and wonders now? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have to understand that Satan has set up this unholy trinity. And I want you to notice something. The world is easily deceived by this. 
He tries to make it look so much like the real thing, but when we see it, this is just a cheap imitation. Why? Here's why. Because Satan wants to steal worship. That's exactly what he wants to do. This has been the game plan since the beginning of creation, when Adam and Eve came into the world. Revelation chapter 13, verses 4 to 6, look at what the Bible says. People worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. Notice this, when we worship this antichrist, our worship is transferred. Goes right to the dragon, goes right to this moment. And it says this, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? This is language that is only used of God. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. This is the last half of the tribulation. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name, his dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. We are seeing evidence of this in our world right now. These ideas are not so far from us currently. And so let me ask you a question. Where is Satan taking your mind now to worship false gods? Because I think like, if we're really honest, we read the book of Revelation and we go, not me. No way, not me. I would never do that. There's no way that I would ever, ever do these things. I would never worship these things. But the reality is, I truly believe we do. Because here's what happens. We read this and we go, oh man, I would never fall for those tricks. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God, had community with God directly, and they were still deceived. Why do we think when we have a broken community with God, when we have separation from God from our sin, that we would not be deceived at all? Let me just tell you something. That, that statement comes from a heart of pride. And the Bible tells us very clearly, pride comes before the fall. And so what happens here is, I don't think Satan has to be that great at deceiving us because I really believe we follow counterfeit gods very easily. Very easily. Very, very, very easily. And I'm not saying going to a concert or something like that is, is, you know, bad and you can't do that. But have you ever gone to a concert, anybody in here, live concert, and watch people worship the person on stage? Some people will pay more for a ticket to go see an artist than they'll tie their entire year. Some people will pay more for Starbucks in this place than they will give to the church. I wonder what you worship. And you're like, that church coffee ain't good enough for me. We use Starbucks up in this place, all right? Because here's the deal. When Satan begins to steal worship from God, it distracts you from where you really need to be. And for some of us, the enemy isn't coming against you because you're worshiping in places that you shouldn't be. And you're giving these places in your life, these false gods, these counterfeit gods, worship. And Satan goes, why mess with them? They're already messing with the wrong thing. And these are these, these things that we need to feel, this pressure to feel liked, to feel accepted, to feel seen, to feel heard, and all of these things. And, and I'll tell you one way that you can really identify if you are worshiping a counterfeit God, if the worship is about you. What do I mean by that? Well, I love that. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel great. 
It makes me, you know, feel hurt. It makes me feel wanted. It makes me, me, me. Because what does the enemy realize? If he can't get you to directly worship him, he can really get you to worship you. And so what happens here is our, Satan wants to steal our worship away from God into himself. And if it's not going to go directly to him, he wants it to go to ourselves. Because ultimately what happens is we, we start to worship these false gods. But here's the reality of what begins to take place in the text. We will, in the end, worship what is evil. It's clear. Worship of evil will become something that is so prevalent that it will be seen as good. I think we're finding ourselves in this part of the world already. There are things going on around the world that are incomprehensible about what is going on. Things like pedophilia becoming not a crime anymore. That's one of the greatest and most severe morally disgusting things that the world has and we have people considering making it not illegal anymore. Human trafficking going on in our world is beyond comparison ever in history. Like this is becoming something that is so prevalent that you and I and so pervasive may have a hard time and the world is having a hard time seeing what is evil. Because the reality is this, the enemy doesn't go from zero to 100. He goes from zero to one, and then one to two, and two to three, and three to four, and four to five. And what you see is the world is slowly dragged into this mindset. Just think about how much culture has changed since the 1950s. And I'm not saying the 1950s had it all right, but man, we've changed quite a bit, have we not? And I'm not saying we need to go back to the 1950s. I'm saying the church needs to be the church and push against darkness in our day. And so what happens here is even the Bible in 1 Timothy begins to give insight into this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. The Spirit clearly says, this is the Holy Spirit, the one who testifies to what is true. He prophesies and gives word through Paul in this moment. And the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. They will leave the faith. Are we not seeing the great exodus of the Christian church? I'd like for people to see our church. It doesn't seem like that's happening. But here's what goes on. And they will be what? Things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Here's what this means. Some of us are getting so used to doing the wrong thing that we don't even feel bad about it anymore. Here's how I would say, like a modern moment of, of where we would see our consciences being seared. Um, has anyone ever watched a movie where a dog dies? Yeah, there it is. How many of us? Uh, don't look at that person, okay? But like Marley, me, I get it. I watched it one time. I get it. I'm done, okay? I don't want to watch it again. But I had to question my own ability because I will watch movies like Saving Private Ryan and not shed a tear. I will watch people on films and in movies and World War II documentaries 
be annihilated. And I will not shed a tear, but Marley and me, here come the waterworks. <laughs> and this is what I mean. This is what I mean. Not that we dogs should die. I'm not saying that. We should take care of creation and be good stewards. That was our first job. But the reality is, is if we're more bothered by a dog dying in a movie than people being annihilated, we may have been conditioned in a weird way. Because here's the reality. We will watch this happen and we will see these things go on and, and we look at what's happening. And let me just tell you, if there is a picture right now of helping people in a part of the world that were torn by war and then on the next one it was adopt a cat, I guarantee you the commercial would win for adopt a cat. In fact, do you know that the highest rated and most funded not-for-profit in our city is the cat depot? In our city where they help rescue abandoned cats. That is the number one funded not-for-profit in our city. When we have organizations that feed the homeless, when we have organizations that help people in crisis of pregnancies, when we have organizations helping people with mental health disorders, when we have organizations helping children who have been abandoned and left neglected, and you're telling me that the number one raiser of money is the cat depot? Look, nothing wrong with the Cat Depot. I'm glad they're doing that. But I find it weird that all of the things that affect humanity are not as funded as the one thing that affects cats. I'm just saying that there, there is this idea that maybe the enemy has been slowly searing our consciences for a very long time. And we look at the book of Revelation and we go, there's no way I would ever do that. I don't know. It's a slow pressure, and it's a slow pressing in. And let me just tell you something that I know about the enemy. The enemy is persistent. 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 And so what happens for you and I is because we, we may not be worshiping God and operating through his power, right, that we will try to operate through the flesh to resist this teaching, and you will not resist this teaching in the flesh. You have to be in the spirit. You have to hear and know the word of God, and you have to be in this life. And why is this so important? What we worship determines who we are. What we worship determines who we are and where we will be. And so what happens in this text is you hear all of this stuff that goes on and all this evil and this pervasive evil and all of these things. And then we see that humanity goes from willingly worshiping to then now being forced to worship this false God. And we look at this and we go, how did this all happen? There's no way that this could happen to me. But this is worldwide. And so as we look at our current age, as we look at our current day, I think we need to look at ourselves and look at our culture and go, where am I possibly worshiping false idols? Where? Where am I, am I being controlled? Where am I being pursued? Where is the culture pressing in? And let me just tell you something, church. This is why this is so important, especially parents in the room. Listen to this. Your kids are discipled constantly. Constantly, your kids are discipled. You have to be the discipler in your home, parents. If you don't know how to do that, we will help you do that. Because here's the reality. If you don't, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, let me just tell you, they're all telling you something. 
every magazine, every book, everything like this. And look, we can not just, the Bible does not call us to withdraw from the world, church. That's, that's some of our, our way that we deal with it. We just take our kids and we withdraw and we go in this little corner and we say, nope, everyone's gonna stay here and nothing's gonna happen and we're gonna totally ignore this world. And let me just tell you what happened to those kids at Liberty University. They had a crisis of faith the first day. Instead, what we should be training and teaching our kids to do is to be able to engage the world, to know the truth and to speak the truth and to live the truth in these times because that is what we are going to be called to do because what we worship determines who we are. But then we're going to see what begins to happen is I'll tell you why we know that this is such a false dichotomy over here because in Christ, in God, we have something called freedom, right? No one has been in here and God has made you believe in him. No one in this room has been made like you either believe in me or you're going to die. That's exactly what this kingdom does. This kingdom is a kingdom of freedom. This is a kingdom of hope. This is a kingdom of peace. This is a kingdom of understanding. This is a kingdom of life. This is the kingdom of death. Because Satan wants to steal worship, and if he can't get it willingly, he will take it from everyone. Because here's what we see in Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 to 18. Freedom is stolen. In Christ, we have freedom. In God, we have freedom. In, in Jesus, he secured our freedom to take us out of this kingdom. But in the last days, this kingdom is going to steal freedom. Look at what the Bible says. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. That doesn't sound like freedom. If you don't do this, you're gonna die. That doesn't sound like a really great place to live. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast, then the number of that name. And he says, this calls for wisdom. You and I need to be discerning. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. That number is six, six. Six. When we talk about the book of Revelation, this is where we all begin to kind of focus in. And right, like uh, there's a vaccine. Oh, the mark of the beast is in there. Oh, there's a barcode coming out. The mark of the beast is in there. Oh, there's a chip going in our brain. There's a mark of the beast there. Oh, there, there's this going on. There's a mark of the beast there. And we're all trying to guess the mark of the beast. But do you really think that Satan's just going to show up and go, well, just write 666 on your forehead or on your hand? Or in the microchip, or you get a social security number, a new one, it starts with 666. Some of you, I know you're at restaurants and your bill comes out to 666 and you're like, I need another drink. <laughs> Not today. Not today. You go to the gas station, you start to fill up your car. I just need a little bit of gas, right? It stops at 666. You will overflow that tank <laughs> to get to 667. I know it. Do not be just so easily deceived. He is more cunning than this. Let's walk through this here in the text because this is all about stealing our freedom. The unholy trinity forces people to worship him. God doesn't. This trinity 
here takes freedom away. Let me just tell you how this works. We see evidence of this in the culture currently. Whenever we do things that are immoral or, or we do things that we should not do, are there not consequences that take away your freedom? That's what it earns in our life. Now, let's walk through some of these things. Because I want you to notice something that happened in the text that's progressive here. And it it happens to us now. The people began to worship God freely, or Satan freely, and it soon turned into bondage. This is what we would experience with any type of addiction in our life. Addiction shows us this model. No one that I know started doing cocaine so that they could be an addict. No one that I know started heroin so that they could be an addict. No one that I know looked at pornography for the very first time so that they could become an addict. No one that I know has has taken that first bite of food so that they could become an addict. No one that I know made that first bet so that they could become an addict. No one wants to become an addict, but the reality is that is the work of this dark kingdom. You enter it freely, and then it will never, ever let you go. Even when we talk to people who are in AA, and if you have an addiction here, there can be freedom and full healing in Jesus Christ, because that's exactly what his freedom gives us. That's exactly what his kingdom gives us. And so if you heard those things and you're in this room and you go, man, it sounds like I've already gone to the wrong thing. There is a 100% way that you can turn back, and you do not have to be addicted. You do not have to be overwhelmed. You do not have to be enslaved, because it is for freedom that Christ came. What kingdom are you operating in? And so what happens is, is the enemy, this is the truth, and this may be a warning for someone in here, maybe about to send that message to somebody on Facebook, maybe about to try that drug for the first time, maybe going to go look at that website this one time, going to talk to that person this one time, going to make that bet this one time. Sin will always take you further, faster, and longer than you ever intended. Ever. Because good intentions don't stop bad things from happening. And so what happens in this text is we see that that freedom is, that that lack of freedom, this bondage is secured in the fact that humanity will not be able to operate in this world unless they take this thing on. Now, let's talk about what these things are. The very first thing that it says is that there is a, there's a mark on the right hand, which shows power and authority, or the forehead. And you, everyone thinks like you're going to get a tattoo here, you're going to have a bar scanner here, or on your forehead, and you're just going to walk into Publix and it hits your head, right? In the Bible, these two things represent something very significant. They represent what we think and what we do. I believe that the mark of the beast will be seen in how people think and what people do. Why will people so easily take on this teaching and what goes on in their life? Because the enemy is slowly going to press in and see our consciences and it's going to change the way people think and when you change the way people think, you will change what they do. Look at what's going on in our culture right now. Look at what's going on in the world right now. You start to indoctrinate the thinking, you will change the actions of people. 100%. And I believe, now, could it be a physical mark? Sure. But here's where I think this may be going. There is, in our culture now, there are, They're doing this in China. Um, 
And there's legislation in Canada and the United States for what's called a social credit score. This social credit score would be something like a physical credit score, or if you guys do Uber, anyone like have Uber Eats, you know that people rate you as a customer just like you rate them as a driver or a deliverer. And so there is talk in China and in Canada and in the United States, there's legislation being built right now that you, every one of us will be assigned a number. And then that number will be rated based upon how other people rate us, things that we do, things that we believe, and it will begin to tie down our ability to get loans. It will tie down our ability to get passports. It will tie down our ability to be on planes. And they're going to use this. Anyone notice how all the news is talking about crazy people on flights that have to get kicked off? They're going to say, what if we gave everyone a social credit score and then those people never made it on the plane? Oh, that's a good idea. Nope. Because what if they change the rules? What if they start to say, Well, if you don't believe this social construct, if you don't believe that social construct, if you don't believe this thing, you start to get your points taken away. There's even talk right now of people who don't believe certain things that their dogs and their kids could be taken away from them. This is happening right now. And so yes, could it be a barcode? Could it be a chip? Could it be a tattoo? Yes, but I know that what it does is it affects the way that we think and what we do. And it seems like this social credit score may be the way in which this is implemented. And it's much more deceptive than just someone saying, you got to get a tattoo of 666 on your hand. You're like, no, I know that. It's in the Bible. But what may happen is, is because we're conditioned, is to say, hey, we got to stop these crazy people from getting on planes. So we're going to implement a social credit score. Yeah, I don't want those crazy people on my planes either. Let's do it. And what seems good is by veil evil. And I completely understand the thinking behind it, but I also really firmly believe in this room how quickly that could be abused. Just think about what goes on socially right now. If you don't believe in certain ideologies, if you don't believe in certain constructs, if you don't believe in certain things, you are completely shamed and you are canceled. This is already happening in our culture right now. Some of us are so afraid to breathe online because, man, what if we get canceled? This is what I believe could happen. Now, that number 666, I want you to understand something about it. It's this. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection. It's referred to as God's number because God is perfect. Since man falls short of perfection, his number is six. Man was created on the sixth day. Slaves were freed from their six years of service. Fields were to be sown for only six consecutive years. Repeating the number three times emphasizes that it is man's number. Just as a thrice-repeated statement, holy, 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 stresses God's absolute holiness. Here's what I would say 666 is. The thinking that will be coming is perfectly imperfect. Perfectly imperfect. And it will totally make sense in the eyes of humanity. And so what we have to be aware of and be, be ready to do, and, and what we must be ready in this moment is to understand and identify what is the truth and how do we find the truth. Because I just want you to see like what's going on in our culture right now. Not only that social credit score, which is coming to the U.S., how we think about sex in our culture 
It's not just a matter of opinion anymore. If you disagree with certain ideologies, you're done. How about gender? That's the newest thing. What is your, like, like how do you identify and what is this and, and what is going on? And if you get it wrong, you're done. You're canceled. What about how we are dealing with money? How we are dealing with, with how to treat other people? How we are dealing with any of these ideologies? I see it beginning to shift us already in this moment. And what is evil is changing in our culture. What used to be good is now evil, and what is evil is now good. And we're seeing this giant shift in this moment. And so what do you and I do? We see this new kingdom. We see this new thing. We see what's going to happen at the end of the days. And don't worry, if you're depressed, next week we're going to have all the answers. (laughs) But I want to leave you wrestling today. Because God may be wanting to sift some things out of your life, not just like so we're on the right side of things, because in Christ there is true freedom. In God there is freedom, and he wants you to experience freedom and walk in freedom in this place today. So what are we called to do? Revelation chapter 13, verses nine and 10. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen, listen in this moment. If anyone is going to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, the sword, with the sword they will be killed. Here's what it calls for. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. If you are depressed at what's going on in the world, patiently endure this. God tells us the plan here. God tells us what is going to happen. We are called to endure knowing that God wins the war. We are called to patiently endure in this moment, knowing and God revealing that some of these things are going to happen. He has not shied away from this. And that the grace that you need to endure this moment will be in your life because of the goodness of God. And so how do we do this? There will be the supernatural empowering of grace. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that the truth will set us free and that how do you defeat a lie you know the truth. I want you to check out this video quickly as we get ready to wrap up.
Yes, I know. I'll never let you down. Bruises on all the trees. Echoing sound. If you're down on your knees for a final count, this I know. I'll never let you down. We know it's not Mother's Day today. <laughs> Maybe you should call your mom, though. Just saying. But what if this could be true of us? That when blindfolded and lined up with a room full of counterfeits, that we know our Father who is in heaven so well, that when we come near, we know immediately what the truth is. That's where we gotta get church. That's the kind of church that we need to be. And if you want to endure the end, you have to know God. And so how do you know him as we wrap up? You know his word and his truth, which has been revealed to you through the scriptures, testified to by the Holy Spirit, purchased and shown in the Son of God. You want to endure in the end times. Can you so quickly, when blindfolded and faced with all the other ideologies of the world and the time, immediately come near and know this is the truth. This is the voice of the Father. This is exactly how God speaks. This is exactly what God does. And you will be free and you can endure because you will know the truth of God, which was purchased by Jesus Christ and embodied by Jesus Christ, which is testified to by the Holy Spirit. And you will overcome the counterfeit because you know the real thing. And so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna leave this place. But church, we want this moment to just be a time for you to consider and to endure in this season. I hope that these words not only brought some big ideas to you, but also encourage you to know your father more. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word and your truth. God, we ask for your favor on our lives as believers in your son that the truth would be known in our lives and we would be so in tune to the Holy Spirit that the truth would be magnified and clear in our lives. And at these end times, the way that we think and what we do will not be changed by the world but will endure to the end because the truth that is set before us in you because it is our freedom. It is our hope. And so, Lord, I thank you for revealing your truth so clearly and giving us the helper of the Holy Spirit so that we may endure. God, we love you. We thank you. We glorify you today. In Christ's name, and everyone said?